HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Levo. Simple, potent, at-home herbal infusions at the push of a button. Learn more at levooil.com and feed your enthusiasm. That's L-E-V-O-O-I-L dot com. This week on Meet and 3, we're looking at things that have changed and things that are still in flux. From mothers balancing new lifestyles to the social stigma surrounding pumpkin spice. You got rid of the star rating system and talked about, like, I'm not going to use the word ethnic when I talk about food. They recognized that safety was our motivation, and, and they were very you know, receptive to the changes, understanding what we were trying to accomplish. A cupcake or a piece of bacon or a glass of rosé is not inherently gendered. Tune in to Meet N3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Vanessa Price. We'll talk to Vanessa about wine, some of her projects, and her new book. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Out of the gates of Louisville, Vanessa Price got her first taste of wine at a local winery. She made her way to New York to study acting, music, and film, then ultimately to follow her passion for wine and hospitality. Vanessa worked at various restaurants, helped open a wine bar, and worked in wine import, sales, and education. She dedicated herself to becoming both a student and a teacher of wine, receiving her diploma from the WSET. Vanessa Price wrote a column for New York Magazine, is the creative director and founder of Vinum, Vinum Collective, however you pronounce it, opening a restaurant in Montauk, and she just wrote a new book, Big Max and Burgundy, Wine Pairings for the Real World. Welcome to the Grape Nation, Vanessa. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. So so everybody knows who you are. Give me a brief background <laughs> <Forget that. laughs> of your journey 
in life and wine that got you to currently where you're sitting today, which is promoting a book and some other projects. So don't, you know, dwell on everything. Just give me a chronology. And then I want to get in the book and into the book and a bunch of other things. Okay, sure. So basically, I I took a very securitous route um, that was a very unlikely path. I'm a Kentucky girl who um, did not grow up with not only wine, but any sort of alcohol consumption in the house. Um, Ended up working in a winery just as a college job. It was a Kentucky winery, you know, not the best stuff, but enough to give me the bug. Yeah, moved to New York, um, have done everything from, um, you know, PR to marketing, to events, to distribution, to import, education, um, just checked all the boxes, I guess. <laughs> right. I mean, worked at some good places, you know, uh, Marquee, what, what, what was that company? I mean, they're a major importer, yeah, right? Yeah. So the last, um, the last job that I had was for six years. It was with Maison Marc and Domain, which is the right. um, domestic holding company for Champagne Louis Roder and all of its um, family owned properties. And you worked in restaurants. Like I mentioned, you opened a wine bar. So you were around that environment for years in and mm-hmm. out, right? Yes. Yes. All right. So Let's get started. Before we get into the book, I, I want to, this could get a little heavy, but we'll get through it quickly. Oh boy. Um, I wanted to, no, I want to talk to you about a very current issue involving the quartermaster sommeliers and the sexual harassment scandal. Um, you have said that the wine industry is one of the most cutthroat and depraved. Um, you said that, you know, sort of lovingly, like that's what it is. I mean, not complaining, but more of an observation. Yeah, there was a bit um, of a cheek to that, but sure. It's yeah, no, and, and I want to preface it that way. It wasn't angry mm-hmm. or anything. But the funny thing is that, that sort of played out in the Master Psalm scandal. I'm just curious with you. I mean, have you ever been subjected to discrimination toward job opportunities, you know, because you're a woman? I mean, have you been, you know, confronted by sexual harassment during your career? Um, Yeah. I mean, I think that it's something that, um, you know, the reason the movement is called, you know, hashtag me too is because there's, you know, I don't know a a woman probably almost in any field that at some point didn't experience some form of it, you know, one way or another. Um, I certainly had a particularly difficult um, time early on in the industry with a job that I had early on, um, which I go into a little bit about in the book, but uh, that wasn't um, sexual harassment. That was more uh, mental, emotional, verbal. (laughs) Right. So um, I wouldn't, you know, attribute that necessarily to my gender, even though that particular individual um, did only hire uh, more vulnerable women. Um, Do you feel being a woman prevented you from getting jobs that you thought you deserved? Uh, no, I do not feel that way. Um, I don't know if that's the popular thing to say at this exact moment. No, no. The truth is the popular thing. Um, I think that, I mean, I, yes, I think so. Um, you know, after that experience, which I sort of alluded to in the, in the book, um, I went on to work for uh, a very large distributor here in the city. And then after that went to work for, uh, Mesa Mark and Domain. And in, in both instances, um, I only had male bosses and, right. um, but was never made to feel as though I was separate in some way. You know, I got, you know, I got 
you know, smacked around the same as the guys did. I, you know, the same high expectations as them were given of me. Um, There was never a moment where, you know, I felt excluded because of my gender. But I think that, you know, that's in, uh, to me, that's a tribute to the company, but more so to the individuals that I worked for. Um, I'm very grateful that I had the bosses that I did. Because I don't know that, you know, obviously not every woman has had the same sort of good fortune. No. And, you know, it's sort of been documented recently with books Mm -hmm. by Jane Lopes and Victoria James and guys like that. One last thing. I mean, we know the system is a little uh, flawed, the people around wine and some of the systems. Um, Do you hear much from friends or not much in your circle? What do you mean hear much? As far do, do friends talk about, you know, issues, women friends in the industry? about any kind of harassment or job opportunity or that's just not prevalent around you? Um, well, I guess I would say that, um, you know, there's a lot of people, obviously, when the New York Times article a couple of weeks ago came out, there was a lot. I'm not right. involved in CMS. I'm in the WCT track. But right. I obviously have a lot of friends that are on the court. And, and there was a lot of sort of like this, duh, of course, this was going on sort of thing. Um, right. Which, I, you know, didn't have much personal experience with the, the WCT culture is very different. Um, I, Which is, also, you know, duly noted. Um, you know, we're talking about different organizations. And yeah, this is the yeah. One they that, sometimes you know, did squish together, which is unfortunate, I think. I mean, even at the International Wine Center, you know, you have Mary Ewing Mulligan and Mary Gorman are the master right. of wine running that place. And I can tell you it's a very, I've always felt like it's a very safe space there. So, Uh, I guess I'm fortunate in that regard. But the one thing that I do want to point out, and this is like, because I think that it's not to sweep anything under the rug, but it is important in terms of like a positive outlook, is that there are so many of us in the industry now. Like when I first got into the industry in New York, I was the only girl on my team. Now there's teams, you know, at, at, at Empire that are just women, you know, it's like, it's, it's a changing industry. And I think that with the, um, more inclusive nature of representation will hopefully come, you know, there's these reckonings that are happening now, but hopefully it's a, it's a long lasting change in terms of what accepted culture is. I I agree. And definitely New York is, you know, a great example of that. There's still, you know, some gatekeeping and organizations that'll hopefully change. All right. I told you we wouldn't stay on that too long. Let's get right into the book. (laughs) All right. Big Max and Burgundy wine pairings for the real world. Um, I read the book. I thought it was fun. I thought it was funny. I thought it was personal, you know, which you just alluded to some experiences. Um, and it was educational, which was a nice thing. Um, you know, so you sort of laugh, chuckle, learn. And then, you know, the gist of the book is the pairings. It does concentrate on wine and food pairings, which is, you know, great. But it is very educational. I think the first part of the book. So tell me a few things. When did your interest in pairing wine and food become a thing to you or a realization, you know, that it was either an obsession or something you kept doing? Um, I think for me, that sort of came out of, I didn't grow up with wine as being a part of food culture. And so they were always very separate. And so when I started to learn about wine and get interested in it and wanted it to be something that, um, 
you know, I wanted to be part of the industry. It became a curiosity for me to start to understand because in the beginning it didn't make sense to me. It's like, okay, we have wine and you have food and right. okay, that's good. And then you try something else and you're like, yeah, okay, that's good. Um, but being able to, you know, the same way you're starting to part and parcel, like what is the difference between a Malbec and a Merlot and a Pinot Noir and a Cabernet, you know, sort of part and parceling that same concept of nuances and sensations and textures and flavors between wine and food, I just thought was so fun because I love to eat. <laughs> I'm a big eater. Right. Um, Me too. Yeah, I'm a big eater. I'm a big fan of that. Food's an important part of our lives, oh, right? Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. it is. Um, so I think that was when it became a, of a personal interest to me. I don't think that I realized that it had become like a thing you know, I right. guess shtick for lack of a better word that in terms of, you know, my niche in the industry would just be that, you know, the, the column in New York magazine started off as a, as a one-off piece. And it was meant to be a bit tongue in cheeky because it was around Halloween. I picked a New York wine um, and I picked the, the, the candy that is the most popular candy for Halloween in New York state, according to, you know, candy.com. So what you was know, it? Uh, Sour Patch Kids and okay. a dry Riesling from Herman Beamer. In the okay. And uh, it was just meant to be a one-off that was more of an ode to New York and New York Magazine for Halloween. And they ended up getting such, you know, the whole SEO clickbait thing around it. They were like, hey, let's let's do another one. And that kept happening. And eventually it turned into this weekly thing. And I was going, whoa, people are really interested in, in you know, this angle of the conversation of not just food and wine, but food and wine beyond, you know, the charcuterie board or, you know, the three-star Michelin right. or whatever it may be. So your lens of wine went beyond just the wine, you know, you involve food with it and, you know, how it complemented. Oh. And, um, and then, you know, I guess you'd imagine pairing and all of that. Um, the New York time, the New York mag thing started when, when was that? Oof, gosh, when was that? That would have been fall of 2017. Okay. Um, not that long ago. Yeah, And, because of that, did you, because of the popularity and the fact that, you know, for a few years you were putting these, you know, ideas and columns together, did that prompt you to think about writing a book? When did the book idea come around? Well, you know, it's a bit ironic. <laughs> um, so I actually had an idea a number of years ago to write a book. And um, this was when I was still with Maison Marc and Domain, early days there, but I was very much teaching with the Wine and Spirit Education Trust, had depleted, depleted, completed my diploma, um, and I just felt like there were all of these questions that were always being asked about wine and in terms of you know the general public and how we were answering them as an industry, I always thought was kind of maybe there was a more succinct way to do it. And so I started to write this book and I worked on it with my sister. She was a, um, a uh, journalism major in, in college. And so she was kind of being my coach. And um, I wrote this whole book. And then I, I went, well, well, now what do I do? I had no idea. And so I was very fortunate that my dear friend and upstairs neighbor, who eventually became the co-write on this book, uh, he's a hotshot in the, the publishing world. And um, Adam, right? Yeah, Adam. And uh, I went and asked him, I said, so I wrote this book. What do, what do I do? And he, he looked at me and he said, what do you mean you wrote? That's not how this works. You, 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 need, a, you need bylines. You need to pitch a publisher. Like there's all these right. things that you, you need to do. And I, and I went, oh, okay, well, how do I do that? And so that was what the the New York Magazine 
piece came out of was me pitching ideas um, to try and get a few bylines so that I could get this book that I had published. But then the irony became that uh, it turned into a column and then publishers started approaching me asking me if I would turn that into a book. So, you know, maybe at some point I'll write the book that I meant to write instead of the book that I did write. Right. We'll see. Um, so the book's broken really the way I see it and correct me if I'm wrong. It looks to me like three sections. There's a wine 101, which is, you know, hard on educational stuff. There's the important part of the book, which is how to pair. Um, and then to me, there's the fun part of the book, which is all these. And I mean, there's hundreds specific food and wine pairing, uh, pairings and, the nice thing where it's personal is it's sprinkled with your, you know, personal narratives, you know, the relationships between a particular wine or food or a region and all that. Um, I want to talk to you about the pairing parts. Sure. But first, and, and you know, you, you became, you are an expert. Help me sort out a few things. Um, and the two things that I think are important to me about the book and wine and pairing are taste and smell. And you've set this congruent and contrasting pairing um, thing up, which is, you know, a, a way to look at how to pair. I, I think if you talk me through it, you'll help people understand, you know, what and how pairing goes down. Okay, sure. So. There's basically, there's two different ways that you can look at food and wine pairing. One is a way in which the textures, flavors, you know, the elements of the food and the wine, they're same, the same. And so those, that sameness works in a way that is complementary to both. And the other way is to go give about- me, Give me examples whenever and wherever you can. Sure. So when you talk about sameness- Sure. You know, talk about wines and food so people can, you know, visualize, imagine. Yeah, sure. So it, the, the, I mean, probably one of my favorite examples, because it's, it's two of my favorite pairings and they couldn't be more dif- different with the same food, is the one that I use in the book, which is uh, fried chicken. Um, if you were going to go complimentary, you could do uh, a Merceau right, which is a wine from a region in Burgundy. It's Chardonnay, but it's a very specific type of Chardonnay, right? It's it's oaked, it's rich, it's round, it's full. It's, um, you know, it's got a lot of the same elements that you think about with the fried chicken in terms of it just being sort of, there's like this abundance to it, right? And so these, these the, the abundance works complementary to both sides, but you could take that same food, fried chicken, and you could pair it with Champagne, which is a totally contrasting pairing, right? Because in, whereas the Merceau is very round and very rich, the Champagne is very linear and very sharp. And right. it will work in a very different way that is equally satisfying, in my opinion, with the fried chicken, but just in a totally different methodology. So I think the reason that I gave that example is to say that, you know, as much as I'm saying, okay, this food and this wine throughout this book, for any one of those, there's certainly a totally opposite wine that could work equally as well if you understand the concepts, which is what I try to lay out at the beginning. Right, which is important. Um, is there, 
is there is one better than the other is one more used is one more right i mean you know hopefully we'll have time i do a thing called the wine list where i ask my guests a bunch of questions and one of the questions is favorite wine and food pairing and you know i've done almost a couple hundred shows and fried chicken and champagne has come up numerous times never fry chicken and you know yeah popcorn never merzol whatever what what, i mean does it is it more contrasting or congruent what what do you personally lean towards or is it really situational oh it's so i mean so you think about something like um contrasting i guess i would probably if you like made me Pick I'm a, making a, you. I would pick the champagne over the Merceau because that's what I did in the book. So I, I couldn't claim the other, but right. um, I, I love them both. But, you know, I think it depends on the pairing, right? So think about going back to what we were talking about earlier with Sour Patch Kids and Semi-Dry Riesling. I am obsessed with that pairing, but that one's more about sameness, right? They both have the tartness, Sour Patch Kids and Riesling with its highest right. acidity, and they both have the sweetness because, you know, Sour Patch Kids, it's the sour sweet element, and you've got the the residual sugar of the semi-dry Riesling. I am obsessed with that pairing. <laughs> it's one of my you, you know what's You know what's interesting to me? The, the chicken congruent and contrasting are so obvious to me. I'm not sure if I could come up with a contrasting for the Sour Patch. What would you select? Ooh, or do some it? things, are some things more difficult? You know, they get in a box where it's hard to contrast or to get a congruent. Yeah, I mean, obviously some have more, some foods have more range in terms of the wine you compare with it. And some foods, you know, you're struggling just to find one. We all know the classic list of, you know, Brussels sprouts and asparagus and really right. good chocolate and those sort of things. And, and certainly Sour Patch Kids lives in the extreme vein. Um, but I would say that you could do, you could just as easily argue something like, I don't know, a, a semi-dry Gewürztraminer, right? Which, okay, so you've got the residual sugar that's in common or maybe even a fully dry Gewürztraminer, but there's certainly no, you know, the, the acidity is not on par with what you find in the Sour Patch Kid, but that floral, uh, you know, perfumed sort of jar that is a great Gewürztraminer would work with the, you know, because if, if you didn't know the color of the Sour Patch Kid you're putting in your mouth, you would just say, right. I don't know fruitiness <laughs> if you couldn't right. see the color of it so you know i think that there could be something there um that, that there's a there's a contrasting element that could still work but sure there's still some compliments in there as well it's i don't think that there's that many pairings that are so straightforward and that was what was so tough about writing this book is how do you take ideas or not ideas but concepts that are so complex and have so many variables and so many well it depends to the answer to the question and distill that down into something that is digestible uh, for someone who loves wine is curious about wine but isn't in a serious you know technical track for wine right and so sometimes it becomes a bit more black and white in doing that but that's not to say that you shouldn't part and parcel the nuances in between. I'm just giving you the foundations to then start to play with that middle ground, you know? Right, right. I mean, it's there is a science to it, but we're not too nerdy or scientific about it. Um, one last thing I'm pairing, and it, it sort of talks about the nuances. You know, people talk about what to pair with Mexican food or, you know, what to pair with steak or even pork. But... A lot of times, and I want you to address this, the Mexican food is, you know, 
got tons of sauce or, you know, a steak may have a sauce on it. Don't you have to pay attention, you know, not to the fact that it's Mexican food or a steak, but what the sauce or the spices are when you do that, you know, generally with anything? Oh, yeah. I think that that's one of the things that gets missed the most is that you, we want to focus on the protein, but you know, how the po- the protein is prepared, right? Is it raw? Is it grilled? Is it smoked? That's going to have one very large impact on, on the eventual dish. What is the sauce, right? So you could just have right. a, a simple white fish. If I'm doing a simple lemon zest on it, well, then I want a crisp Sauvignon Blanc vein, you know, citrusy white. But if I'm going to put a cream sauce on top of that white fish, well, then I want a creamy white, right? So there's 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 the the seasonings, the sauces, how the dish is prepared, how heavy or intense it is. So there's so take take that take that fish dish, take mm-hmm. the fish dish with the sauce. Do you focus more in on the sauce or the fish? You know, assuming it's a whitish, somewhat delicate fish, but with a rich sauce, are you more worried about the sauce or the fish? I would say that I am, I would say that I am more, that's a tough one. In that one, I would say 50-50. Okay. So take both into consideration. Yes. Or if you were just, if you were just doing a grilled steak with salt and pepper, you're talking just the protein. You don't have to worry about any 50-50. Right. Then it's a hundred percent the protein. Right. All right. So in the book, you know, I'm amazed at this because I kind of did my own statistics and all that. I mean, you offer over 300 wine and pairing suggestions, <laughs> you know, virtually covering everything edible. I mean, uh, you do candies, you do Halloween candies. I mean, how many different candies did you do? That list has 100 candies and that yeah, I mean, list is only done with dessert wines. Right. And potentially that's a book on its own. You know, if somebody sure. wanted to do that, you know, so you do everything edible and you even do like non-edible stuff, like what pairs with Netflix, which I thought was cool. Um, the, the sections are broken down by thematic chapters, you know, like pairing with Trader Joe's and with breakfast. And like we mentioned, Halloween candies and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me, I, I want you to, you know, I want you to be a storyteller. Tell me about some of your favorite pairings, but also tell me about some of your favorite chapters, you know, and how you came to them. There's one that's an ode to the South and where you came from and, you know, the hot Brown, which if anybody knows Kentucky Derby, Louisville, the hotel and all that, but, you know, tell me some of these, how you got to the chapters and let's get into a couple of the pairings, some of the favorite things. How I got to the chapters. Well, you know, that was that was a fun one. You know, when we first set out to when I first set out to write this book and figured out the format and, and convinced Adam, um, you know, much against his will in the beginning. It took a lot of right. it took a lot of me really sort of like, you know, I was bribing with the bourbon outside his door sort of thing. He couldn't hide from, <laughs> you know, he had to pass my door to get out of the building. Um, and I eventually wore him down and convinced him to do this with me because, uh, you know, he just helps me to encapsulate my voice when I speak to to write it that way. And so I really want to make sure he gets the credit for that. Um, right. so it started with, um, but he's also a tough cookie. So it started with us, you know, we'd go to dinner and we'd sit down and he'd say, okay, tell me stories. And I would just sit there and tell him story after story after story. And he would say, not interesting, not interesting. So, so boring. <laughs> so it was like, really? Okay. Oh yeah. And so like, you know, so all, going, so all the stories in the book, Many were passed over as no, no, you know, no. So my point is, you know, we would do oh. that time and time and time again, and then eventually, uh, you know, he would say, "Oh, okay, that's that's funny. 
try and write that. And so then that would start. And so in total, in the beginning, um, the first draft, the, the book had about 25 narratives. Now I think it has like 18 narratives, something like that. Right. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's what it started from, but it started from part and parceling hundreds of stories of my experiences in the wine business, um, including some that I love that just, we didn't have the space for it. Cause we had a, a page cap that I would have loved to have included, but, um, so all personal and all experiential. Oh yes. You know, I, I mean, quickly tell the story. I, I mean, the name of the book is big Mac and Burgundy. Tell the story of you know, how McDonald's became prominent in the book and how it was sort of a childhood thing of yours. I mean, this was a fun, funny thing. (laughs) Well, so if anyone remembers, I don't, you know, depending on your age, there was a a time period where Beanie Babies had taken over the universe. And it was just, you know, they were going on selling online for insane amounts of money, you know, if they were in the perfect condition with the tag not bent and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, McDonald's caught on to that and started doing the mini Beanie Babies with their Happy Meals. And uh, my next youngest brother and I, Forrest, we just got obsessed with them and wanted to have every single beanie baby for ourselves. And we also didn't want to share a set. And so, um, my mom sort of turned it into an adventure where we would drive around Louisville to different McDonald's and buy happy meals and try and convince the, the people at the drive through window to put that beanie baby in our happy meal, but you weren't allowed to do that because there was a lot of psychotic mothers and children doing this in the universe right. at that time. We were not special in that sense. And um, so we were freezing all of the happy meals when we would get home. We had like, you know, the garage, the out, you know, the big out freezers that sits in, in the garage uh, in suburbia land. So you were, you were doing more trips than meals that you had to freeze the food. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you're the, the beautiful thing here. And it's very sweet is that your mom bought into it, right? Oh yeah. Totally bought into it. My, my dad thought we had all lost our minds, which I'm I'm sure in retrospect is probably closer to the truth, but, um, she fully supported the endeavor and, uh, you know, we eventually got them all. It was quite an adventure. So the title of the book is Big Mac and Burgundy. So obviously the ultimate pairing and, you know, McDonald's has a little place in your heart. Um, so a Big Mac pairs best with Burgundy? With a, with a red Burgundy, like a... Yeah, a I'm sorry, I meant a red Burgundy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, with yeah. a regional red Burgundy. Why? It's, um, well, it's the special sauce, right? Like that special sauce is a special... When was the, Here's a question for you. When was the last time that you had a Big Mac? It's been a long time. It's really been a <laughs> you long might, time. You, you might want to... But uh, I, could, I could play along. What do you want me to do? No, no. I was just wondering if you, you know, if you, if you had had one, you know, um, like, cause it's, it's the eternal question, right? Like no one actually knows they've never actually released the recipe, but you know, there's, you know, right. lots of, 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 um, you know, ideas of what's in it, but ultimately it's got a bit of a tang to it, right? There's a, there's this right. little bit of a, a tang element to it, a little bit like a French dressing sort of thing. And, you know, that with the, the Big Mac, which is, it's a, it's a, 
protein, right? Like it's a, it's meat on a bun, but it's not it. You know, it's the two pieces of meat, but it's not like it's not like the quarter pounder where it's like heavy and rich. It's right, just a slab of slab of meat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a lightness to it, and so between the tang of the special sauce, the lightness of the burger in terms of a burger being light, we put that in context. So needing a little bit of tannin, needing something that's light and fruity and easy, needing something that's got a little bit of a tang. Um, needing something that's got a little bit of that earthiness to meet the meatiness, uh, you know, all of these things combined make Red Burgundy and Big Macs a really great pairing on top of which, you know, if I could only just drink one thing for the rest of my life, it would probably be Red Burgundy. So, <laughs> right. I think a lot of us, I think, ex- I think accessibility and price and things like that, you know, prevent us from doing it. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're big Bourguignon Rouge people if we have to be. Yeah, exactly. Um, other chapters, you know, I guess are personal too. Like, you know, why would you pick Trader Joe's? Because they have such an interesting food lineup. You know, you, like I said, you did an ode to the South because that was an important part of you growing up. I mean, those are areas with some very specific foods. You know, what what was the process? You go to a Trader Joe's through the years, you look at the food and, you know, with the book idea, you sit there and go, well, there's a frozen burrito. What pairs with that? I mean, you, you know, how did you construct the chapters, you know, specifically when you look at a topic like that. Oh my gosh. If you could have seen the charts, the, 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 the really, you know, I have to say, you know, there are so many people that if, if I made a list, like I feel like the acknowledgements at the back just wasn't even long enough. There were so many people that were so kind to help me with time and attention on, cause I would constantly go through these iterations of as the, the, the chapters were evolving and you know, the foods, cause we were writing these in isolation and then putting it all together and figuring out, well, actually that food makes more sense in that chapter. And actually this chapter and that chapter the foods feel too similar. And so there's like this constant rearranging. And so I had two tasks, one or many tasks, but amongst them was to make sure that a, the food was relevant to the narrative we were attaching it to. And right. then B that, the wines were unique enough, right? Like every wine can't just be a French wine from a great Appalachian and it can't be, you know, a natural wine from some weird grape you've never heard of. It's got to be, I want to, I wanted to run the gamut in terms of representing the world, representing styles. Um, So there was a constant rearrangement and trying to make sure that I was staying balanced. So for the, but the Trader Joe's one specifically, I got to say, man, shout out to Trader Joe's because they are just the nicest humans ever. I actually just went to my Trader Joe's and told them, like I went and asked, found the manager and I said, hey, I'm writing this book and there's going to be this chapter on Trader Joe's and I want to speak to foods that are most relevant nationally. Is there any way that you could help me out with like what your the most popular sold foods in Trader Joe's is nationally? And she was like, right. yeah, no problem. And when she was like, give me a couple minutes, you know, I was like, great. I'm actually grocery shopping. I'll come back around. Came back around. <laughs> she gave me a printout of like most popular items at my specific Trader Joe's downtown, most popular in New York, and then most popular nationally. And so then I just used those lists to sort of cross-reference what I thought I wanted to include and what made sense with the wines that I wanted to talk about. You know, there's like, there's so many variables. It's like Tetris, you know? Right. So it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, you know, what boggled my mind and tighten this up for me. Sure. When I, when I went through the book and I looked at everything the first time and then went back, I swear, if not a few, maybe none, there's no repeats of the wines. 
No, there's no. It, it's not. Is that true? I mean, it's not like Cabernet comes up seven times because there were seven good examples of where Cab Sauve. I, I, I mean, I'm like, Jesus, Vanessa, there's 300 suggestions and 300 different wines. Is that oh. was how'd that work out? Oh, man. Total point. So I remember we got to the I was trying like crazy to not let there be any repeats, uh, you know, which is really difficult to do. And, um, I remember we got to one of the final rounds and I realized that I had used, uh, Italian Freysia twice. And I had used not the same grape, but the same, um, the Vacal ripeness level. So with smaragd, um, you know, and all, and, and all of those categories I had like doubled up. And so I told everyone, I was like, guys, I have to rewrite these. I have to repair them. And they were like, you have got to be kidding me. Like we're, we're, <laughs> Were it like this was due two weeks ago? You can't be going right. to rewrite things that have been edited eighteen times. And I was like, no, I, I, I really want there to be, you know, representation for as many possible things. And that's the point is that like, you know, you can write a list of a hundred candies and pair a hundred dessert wines and just do dessert wines. And it's like such a diverse category. And we always think like, you know, sweet means cheap or it means sauterne, but there's so much beyond right. that. So. Was that the intention going in or that was something you wanted to try and it played out properly? I mean, was it, you know, I'm going to do all different wines. I mean, yeah, is that, that was, was, that was, that always was. My goal. yeah, that was why I needed so much tracking was that not only did I not want to repeat wines, I also wanted the represent representation to not be too heavily weighted. Now, obviously France, Italy, the U.S., they're going to, you know, take a little bit more of the bulk because... Heavily, have, yeah. Well, I'm not talking about region. I'm talking just about different wines. Yeah. Right. No, but that's what I'm saying. So, like, I tried yeah. just to repeat wines, but to make sure I didn't even heavily weight a region, heavily weight a country. So, I would X a pairing because it's like, no, I already have five from Piedmont and I don't have any from central Italy. So, even though it's a different wine, I'm still not going to do it. I'm going to find a different wine, you know? So it was yeah. like, I just wanted it to be as diverse as possible. So this may be a dumb question. It's like asking Aldo Som, what's the most expensive bottle of wine you serve? <laughs> but what's, what, which he hates to answer, by the way, what's like the weirdest pairing? I mean, because you were so diverse in the wines and you really dug deep in the food. I mean, do you still look back and go, oh my God, you know, amphora and, you know, blah, blah, blah. What, what was the, does anything sort of stick to you? Oh, let's see. I mean, most pairings are more obvious than others. I think back when I was tell writing- the tell the Cheeto story because that sort of explains a lot, you know, of what pairing is and how your thought process worked. Well, that was one that I actually. So the way it worked with New York Magazine, you know, so we would do twelve a quarter, right, once a week, and so the way it would work is I would send my editor thirty foods, and I would say, okay, these are the thirty foods that I'm suggesting you pick. 12 from the 30. And those are the the ones that I'll pair because obviously like, you know, they knew they were running an issue on Cheetos. So they wanted to make sure I paired that or whatever. So they sent the list back and Cheetos was on it. And I'd thrown that one in there as a joke, uh, not thinking they'd actually pick it. And then they did. And I was like, all right, well, I guess we need to do that one. And so I had a theory about it being good with Sancerre, but I really had no idea. Um, and so I, I asked a, a good girlfriend of mine, Mary, who is always down for a good food and wine right. experiment. Um, and I said, you know, we were going to catch up for a glass of wine. Do you, do you mind? We just, we're going to need to like try these Cheetos before we 
commence with the evening. So while our palates are still, you know, they're not tainted by all the things we're going to eat and drink. And she was said, yeah, sure, let's do it. And so we started out sort of laughing, you know, eating the Cheeto and drinking the Sancerre. And then it was so delicious that we ended up polishing the bag. And it wasn't one of those like little, like, you know, gas station bags. It was like one of the grocery stores. Right. <laughs> tell, tell us why it worked. You know, tell us why it was, you know, among oh, the ultimate pairings. It's so good. And I know people roll their eyes at this and it's like, man, it, if you try it and you, and you still roll your eyes, then more respect to you. You've got, you got something going on that I don't, but I, I just think it is so delicious. It is the, the, the quintessential, you know, the idea of, you know, you have a very, a food that creates this viscous sort of feeling in the mouth, right? Like all that orange powder that sort of powder inside of your mouth, just like it does your fingers, you know, the acidity in Sancerre, it acts like a squeegee sort of cleaning your, your palate from the front to the back, right? It doesn't leave any of that residue. And so you just get this sort of heightened element of, because there's a long finish with the wine, you know, you get this heightened element of the the minerality of the Sancerre from that saltiness of the Cheetos. So it's like this combination of like salty umami deliciousness happening because of the the, the chalky sort of minerality that you get from Sancerre. Um, and Sancerre, so I mean, there may be other things that work, but Sancerre is the best example for that, you know, mouth coating, finger sticking, orangey, you know, unctuous that's that's far and away the best, right? Because of all I the elements so. of a yeah. Because it's got not only does it have that like high, you know, you know, mouth watering acidity. It's also got this perfect pristine saline sort of quality, and right. you know, all of the notes are like pure citrus. So you could argue like, well, maybe Chablis would be just as good. But to, to me, you know, and actually, uh, a, right. a friend of mine, Nick Jackson, he's a master of wine. He has a book called Beyond Flavor, and he talks about the shape of acidity in the book. And, you know, just the actual shape of how the acidity of Sauvignon Blanc versus Chardonnay works, just even that matters. And I've just, I've never found a pairing that works as well as Sancerre. But I don't that, know. That I'm Nick reference that. is very nerdy, but it's okay. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Vanessa, we have to take a quick break. When we sure. come back, I want to ask you a bunch of other pairing things. I want okay. to see if we can get our wine list in. We're talking to Vanessa Price. We're talking about Vanessa's new book, Big Max and Burgundy. You're listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Levo, the world's most intelligent at-home infuser. It's super easy to use to make infusions for cooking, candies, cosmetics, and herbal medicines. When the box showed up, I was excited to try it out as I've heard good things about the machine. It looks like a space-age coffee maker on the counter, and having it out makes me want to infuse everything. I've got plans for the hot peppers on my counter and the sage I picked from the garden before the first freeze last week, along with some other choice herbs and spices. I think everyone on my list is going to get infused oils this year. So far, I've used it for cannabis, basil, and orange peel infused oils and butter. The machine even has dry and activate functions for the highest potency and stability in your infusions, and you can connect through Wi-Fi to track your progress and record your recipes and share with the Levo community. Learn more at levooil.com. That's L-E-V-O-O-I-L.com. Okay, we're back. We're back with my guest, Vanessa Price. 
Vanessa just wrote Big Max and Burgundy, a terrific book that has some great wine education, uh, the importance of food and wine, and specific, specific examples of which we talked about. There's over 300. All right, so... Help me with some timely pairings, all right? Okay. We have Thanksgiving coming up, all right? Okay. So if you had, and there's a lot of elements, you know, you got sweet potatoes, white potatoes, you got stuffing. You got, if you had to put one wine on the table to cover, you know, that standard Thanksgiving fare, give me a couple of options. Okay. Or, you know, do it your way, but, you I know, don't say- go on for hours. I would say one thing that definitely gets overlooked and certainly has a great place at the table is rosé. Um, okay. I think there is just there's so much that it works with on the the Thanksgiving table from you know the stuffing, which has you know the similar sort of seasoning as like you know you think of as like the the herbed Provence sort of you know right. of, a, of like a classic French rosé or, you know, the cranberry sauce or, you know, turkey, which is good with something with, you know, a lighter protein or lighter tannic um, influx to it than, you know, other proteins might need. Um, People always think about gamay, but, you know, gamay is almost sort of like in that vein of rosé. It's just a little bit, you know, more in that direction. So I would say rosé is something that... But more of a, not like the summery water stuff, a rosé with a little body. Is it fair to say that or not necessarily? Yeah, I would say not... I wouldn't go by like. Give me a recommendation or, regionally, not necessarily brand or brand, I whatever. Would go, I would go Bandol Rose. Okay. So, perfect. like, if you wanted to spend a little money, you could do like, you know, a Domaine Odd or a Tampier or a Terbrun, right. something like that. I would yep. say something like that, or you could do like, um, like a Tavel, right? A Southern Rhone Rose. Mm-hmm. All good or ones. Um, let's talk about something thanksgiving but different which people you know obsess over whether it be a pumpkin or a pecan pie you know at the end of the meal you're pulling that stuff out maybe it's nice to pull something other than you know the rosé what am i doing with those pies so i i actually it was funny i i um was was chatting with a friend of mine last night and uh he told me he said you know you 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 gifted me this bottle of 30-year tawny port a year or wow. so back and I, yeah, right. It was a nice gift. And, uh, and he said, I don't know what to do with it. And I said, number one, you still have it. I said, you haven't done it. <laughs> what the heck? I, I, I want to take it back now. You, you, you can give it back to me if you right. don't want it. But I said, you know, you're actually coming up on the perfect time to drink something like that. Right. So all of those things, ah. the, pie, the pumpkin pie, like a, a tawny, especially a tawny with a little bit of age. I'm not saying you need to swing for the fences. And 10, 20, 30, years. those all work. Yeah, they all work. Even, even a classic, you know, like a simple tawny, depending upon, you know, where your budget right. is just, you know, a classic tawny from a good producer is still under 20 bucks on the shelf and it'll still be, Effing delicious, you know, with with and you all get that. that sort of after dinner drink feeling too. So mm-hmm. everything kind of places itself nicely. Now, oh, yeah. Christmas is sort of similar, you know, to Thanksgiving. Add a few things. We won't get into the seven fishes thing, but you know, you throw a ham in or whatever. So tell me two things. With Christmas, you throw a ham in. Maybe you're doing a turkey, but you also have Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. What pairs well with like latkes? 
Well, in the book, I pair latkes with uh, Golan Heights sparkling wine, so Israeli sparkling wine, um, specifically a Blanc de Blanc, something that's got a little okay. bit more straight. Um, that's because of the people. oil and the richness and all. Yeah, that. it's like another take on champagne and French fries or champagne and yep. fried chicken. You know, it's that same vein. Yep. What about? So we did the turkey. Two more things: Christmas ham and the Hanukkah brisket. Give okay. me a wine for each one of those. So for the Christmas ham, I would do a, I, I, that was another one that was in the book. We did, I think that was the Paso Robles Petite Syrah. So something that's nice. like very big and round and rich and succulent, just like the, the, the Christmas ham is, which is probably right. one of my favorite meals all year. Right, the richness of the ham, the dressing mm-hmm. on the outside of the ham, mm-hmm. it all goes well. What about, you know, a, um, a braised saucy brisket? Well, that's something where I would go a bit more meaty, right? I would go something okay. known to have a bit more of that sanguine sort of characteristic because it's just going to heighten the sort of earthy meatiness of, of your brisket. So I'd probably go Syrah, old world Syrah, you know, maybe okay. Northern Rhone, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's Tuscan, but I would definitely go Syrah. All right, one last one. Um, you know, football's over, half over. We're heading towards the Super Bowl. I'm sure this, I'm not sure. I know it's in the book. Uh, Buffalo wings, spicy wings. What are we pairing with that? So that's one where I would encourage people, when you get into something that is both hot and fried, I would really encourage people to step outside of the box. So like, you know, I would put jalapeno poppers in that same box with with spicy chicken wing. Try something like a demi-sec champagne. Now explain what demi-sec is, because people don't know brood, extra brood. Just uh, on the scale of champagne, what, where is demi-sec? So demi-sec is going to be, it, it's, it's probably the sweetest version of what we see here in the States in terms of what's typically imported. There are levels of champagne that are sweeter, like dew. But demi-sec is, is, is going to be something that's going to have a considerable amount of residual sugar, considerable amount more than brute, I should say. But the point is because the acidity in champagne is so high, it right. still isn't going to feel like, you know, when you're drinking a port, for example, or you're drinking a Sauterne or, you know, whatever it may be, it's Good still going to have this bright lift to it. On top of which you've got the effervescence on top of which you've got the, and I know I'm going to use a wine geeky term here, but you've got that autolytic character, which is the yeasty, toasty, bready, right. brioche exactly all those things all of those things are going to work to mitigate the sugar in a way that it's going to be present enough to soften the heat in a pleasant way but not overwhelmingly so that the dish won't still finish when you swallow it won't still finish savory because it will right so it's a champagne that like you might not drink on its own but you drink it with that food and you're like holy crap it's so complimentary, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's why I have you on, and that's what the book is about. But l- let me ask you one last thing about pairing. Is Eric Repair not wrong where he says, in the end, pair whatever you want? Because you know all that guy likes is Bordeaux, and he'll eat that with the most delicate fish. Oh, I mean, yeah. you're not gonna go. You're not gonna go to hell, right? No, no. I, I actually say that in the book. He, he, I think the saying is like Bordeaux avec tout, or it's like you know Bordeaux with everything. And I've seen segments where you know Aldo will try and convince him that you know 
you don't want Bordeaux with your oysters. You want this great Austrian Gruner Veltliner or whatever it is. And he's like, nope, still want my Bordeaux. This is what I um, want. And if, you know, my argument would be if the most respected chef, arguably from the most respected restaurant in the world, uh, who arguably has the most refined palate one could have, feels this way, then I would say that that's justification for any other person to never question what their personal preference is. So with all your hard effort and all your suggestions, you still can do whatever you want. All right, Vanessa, we want to do the wine list. Um, We have about five, six minutes left. I ask every one of my guests the same five questions. I post them on social media. Don't dwell on them. Move through them quickly. Some of it plays into the book, um, the questions. The first question is, and this is a funny one. The first question is, what are you drinking now? And we ask psalms, restaurant guys, authors, you know, what's in their fridge now? Are they changing wines for the season? What are they experimenting with? You just finished writing a book drinking, you know, God knows how many wines. But right now, what are you, what are you drinking? Uh, I would say that I have been drinking a lot of bubbles, like an, I've I've had, I think just this week, I've had a a vintage Brut Natur. I've had a Pet Nat. I've had a Cava. I've just been drinking bubbles in all forms, I would say. Okay. So you're a bubbles person. I had Ariel Arce on a couple weeks ago and she just wrote a book better with bubbles. And the nice thing about it is it's beyond champagne. There's so many other great bubbles, which you did mention. All right. Good answer. (laughs) This is this. I've been asking this question for four years and you may be the queen of this question. And the question is, what is Vanessa's favorite wine and food pairing? Now, this is not a setup. I've been asking people this question for years, so you got to answer it. Oh, yeah. No, I understand. I guess the, the problem, you know, when you when you write a whole book on a subject, it's because you love so many. Um, but I think if you were going to make me say like a, a, a desert island. Okay. That's really what it is. Ooh. Think, think, think long and hard about that one, Vanessa. I guess, Wait, you know. What you enjoy. I mean, let's not say this is the answer, but fried chicken and champagne. I you know, who I'm doesn't love champagne? With the title of the book. Okay. So Big, Big Max, Max and Burgundy. Burgundy. So Burgundy, <laughs> you've already Burgundy. you've already stated, you know, how much you love Burgundy, oh. and with something as simple as a hamburger, we'll take that. Um, before the show ends, I want to talk to you quickly about uh, Venom Collective and you know Maverick for a second or two. Sure. But before we get to that. Do you have a favorite wine restaurant and or bar? Are there places you go to, whether it's out east or in the city, that has a great list, that they're knowledgeable, it's a great vibe? Mm-hmm. Um, you feel that way? You know, would you mention a couple of places? Oh, yeah. So, well, in the city, I, I'm, I have the good fortune of living uh, about three blocks from Le Compagnie. Okay, so Caleb and the guys. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to have uh, a slamming wine list quite literally, uh, you know, in my backyard. So love, um, love those guys. I, I hop over there a lot, but I would say if I was going to call out a place and I'm going to regret this because if people go and pick over the list and be so sad, um, but a place that never gets talked about, and I just don't understand how that is, is the American hotel in Sag Harbor. It's um, I, I don't think it's talked about a lot, but I think it has all the bones for what the question is. It, it, it's, it's, I think it's one of only like three or four restaurants in the country that has gotten the grand award from Wine Spectator every year since the yes. award has been given, yep. which is 40 something years. 
the list, it doesn't matter. Like, okay, you want to go Grand Cru Burgundy, you know, Domaine de la Romani Conti, you want to do first growth. No problem. They've got you verticals on everything. You want to do mid nineties Greek Xenomavro. They've, they've got you. You want to do half bottle of some bizarre, you know, I don't know, Appalachian in, in Italy that I, you know, have to look up on my phone. It's, it runs the gamut. It runs the gamut in terms of style, in terms of price point, in terms of age. Right. It's just a, a fun list. It's so funny because I've probably done a couple hundred of these, and that may be the first time that that's mentioned. And on the other hand, companies probably have been mentioned 30, 40 times. It deserves right. a mention. All right. The fourth question out of five is favorite all-time wine. I used to ask that, like, Vanessa, what's the most expensive rare wine you ever drank? Don't give a crap about that anymore. What's that wine that sort of changed your life or, you know— gave you that, you know, aha moment or just an important wine to you? I would say that my aha moment. Don't tell me Arbor Mist. <laughs> Listen, I was very proud of my Arbor Mist collection at the time. But so answer the question, though. <laughs> so I would say that my aha moment with wine was actually pretty late in my career in terms of just understanding the greatness of certain types of wine. I was working for Maison Marc and Domaine and uh, we were going to be launching uh, this new cuvee from Champagne-Louis Roeder. And the night before there had been this collector dinner where there had been like eight people at the dinner, but about 15 magnums of Cristal going back to the wow. 1960s. And at the end of the dinner, um, the, the proprietor, the head of the family, Frederick Rousseau, who's a lovely man, had asked if, if we would just drop the bottles in the office on our way home since we had this tasting in the morning. And I said, you know, sure. Do you want me to, you know, to stopper them, to put them in a cob? You know, I can't really do that because they're open. So I can't put them on their side. And he said, no, 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 just, just put them in the office. Like no, no okay. refrigerator, no stopper, no nothing. Just put a cork in them. So the next morning I kind of forgotten about him because it was a big morning around the place. He comes over and nudges me and says, you know, Hey, can you go pour me a glass of the 1980? Which I thought was strange because if you know, 1980 was a horrendous vintage in champagne. Right. It was just strange that he would want to taste this day old, warm, flat wine from a bad vintage. Probably the so, best test of it. Right. Exa exactly. And so I poured it, brought it to him, saw the twinkle in his eye. And this was, you know, pre COVID <laughs> when this wasn't a weird thing. You know, he hands me the glass to also taste it. And I tasted it and it was mind boggling to me. It was like, it was like drinking white burgundy. And he, you know, he got that sort of like kid, like smile on his face. And he said, you know, go get the rest of them. And so I went and grabbed all of the magnums and we put them on the table and, you know, we had masters of wine and master thumbs and, you know, big writers there. And, you know, and, and he sort of explained, listen, this is not what today is about, but these, these types of wines are too special not to, to share. So if you don't mind, they are flat and they are room temperature, but I think you can still see their beauty. And at the end of it, there, there wasn't a drop left because they were still so profoundly, amazingly good. The story is as good as the wines. All right, last <laughs> question. And I think you could handle this because you've been around the business long enough. I want you to recommend the best wine around 15, 20, 22 bucks. I want you to recommend a red, a white. You could, you know, do category like Muscadet, region. You know, I always say over and over and over, my kids are in their 20s. They can't go to a party or give a gift of a crappy supermarket wine. They're mm -hmm. not spending 40. So how do they wow somebody at 15, 18, 20, 22? Start with a white. Okay. If I was going to do a white at that price point, I would probably go, obviously for any of these, you're going to have to go a little bit off the beaten path, but I would probably do something um, 
Ooh, I would probably do something like a like a white Rioja. Okay. So white Rioja for the white. We'll take mm -hmm. that because we're running out of time. Give me a similar, you know, situation red. Similar situation red. I would do pretty much anything from the Languedoc, but specifically something from a region called Minervois. Okay. M-I-N-E-R-V-O-I-S. Exactly. Okay. All right. Those are good ones. I promised I'd get you off. I have all night. You don't. Um, no, no, we can chat for a minute. We've got a few more minutes. Just tell me a couple of things. Let's okay. talk about, because it's less, not less about, but you've been out east in Montauk, you know, for uh -huh. years doing stuff. You, I think you have your steak planted and sights set on opening a restaurant out there. Are we still at that point? Yeah, you know, COVID. Tell allowed. me what's going on. We were so so uh, my partners and I purchased the space, um, spent about 18 months going through the rigmarole with the planning board out there, as, as everyone does. Uh, we weren't unique in that. Um, we're fortunate enough to finally get our approvals um, this past gosh, September. So it wasn't that, that long ago. Um, and so we're rearing up to hopefully start construction. But, you know, obviously, my architects have some concerns about right the coming eventual second sh shutdown. And so we're just trying to figure out if it makes sense to, cause you know, we're going to be taking the roof off and, and, you know, if we take it off and then things get shut down and the entire interior is exposed for the winter, that could be problematic. So we're just trying to decide yeah. if it makes sense to, to start yet or not, but we're, you know, we've got the approvals, you know, the plans are done. Tough They're times. beautiful. I'm so excited to, to get so to it's it. Time it's in. called Mavericks, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, Mavericks. It's Pond. on Fort Pond in Montauk. Yep, west facing. And special describe sunset. when you walk in, what's the vibe going to be? What am I getting myself into? Have you ever been to Halls in Charleston? Of course, many times. Okay. My son went to college at Charleston. So, so we... how did you feel when you walked in Halls? Well, you got the piano player there. The guy kisses <laughs> you when you walk in. It's you know, it's very. Happy... Yeah. That's the thing. It's, it's, got, so it's a little boisterous, but polished, fun. Exactly. Boisterous, but polished. We want it to be a place. We're, we're planning to have a piano man. Um, we want it to be a place that you come in, you know, some people are going to be in stilettos. Some people are going to be in, in flip-flops. Uh, we might have to remind some people to go get shoes out of their car. Um, right. you know, but the martinis are going to be ice cold. Everyone's going to be laughing and having a great time. We want it to, you know, hopefully this, you know, we'll, we'll time the opening with, normalcy perhaps um just for the vibe right. we're, we're yeah let's talk for, about but... hopefully the opening will be <laughs> you don't have to worry about that yeah. um so we'll be able to tell people where to find that when i ask you for your social media stuff last thing um is it venom or vinum i never know how to pronounce well it's it's the latin word for wine so technically you know it's vinum. a so you, I, I've heard both Vinum and Venum, actually. All right, so Vinum Collective is something mm -hmm. you co-founded. You're the creative director. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on there. You know, in a nutshell, first tell me what it is and then tell me where people can go, you know, to see it and find out more. Yeah, well, they can they can find it at the VinumCollective.com or dot, yeah, dot com. I can't even V-I-N-U-M. V I oh sorry vinumco.com so v i n u yeah sorry about that co.com and um, it's basically it's an all things wine lifestyle platform and i know that sounds like so cheesy but it's basically you know you you want to visually create in wine you want to talk about wine you want to learn about wine you want to collect you want to 
figure out a new way to express yourself in wine. We work with a lot of um, startup brands that are looking for ways to sort of channel out like what is their niche in terms of like visually, like how they're representing themselves and, um, you know, how they're talking about themselves. So we we focus a lot on like the, the creative side of that, how we talk about it, how we look at it, how we how we write about it, you know, so um, right. it's I think that be- I think the best thing for people it, it is cool. It sounds cool is to really go on the site and, you know, navigate around because, you know, you, there are very specific things on the site. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. We um, did work for the, the book. I mean, the book was all my photography with my co-creative, Michelle McSwain, who's yep. also a childhood friend. So all that good childhood stuff. Childhood Yep. Um, I told you this would go fast. We got to wrap up. Let me do a quick wrap up. And sure. then I want to get a couple of handles from you. If you okay. have a question, suggestion, wine happening or event, hit me up at Sam at the grape nation.com. That's Sam at the grape nation.com. Subscribe to the grape nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Facebook at the grape nation on Instagram at S Ben Ruby on Twitter at Ben Ruby confusing, but you could always use the hashtag the grape nation. As I mentioned, I'll uh, post Vanessa's wine list on our social media sites um, and any other interesting stuff we discuss. Um, Vanessa, two things. Best way to buy the book. Amazon, bookstores. I mean, tell me. Well, I would, you know, of course, I would encourage you to support your independent bookstore. Local bookseller. Yeah, I've had it. I've had people tell me they found it in Marfa, Texas, in in, in Beacon, New York, in Joshua Tree. So it's everywhere in terms of the little guys. Um, Certainly, it's available on Amazon, Target, uh, Barnes & Noble, all the the big guys. We're in the Union Square Barnes & Noble for any city folk. Okay. Um, And you, because of COVID, you really can't do any... uh you know, book readings or signings, right? I've been doing a lot of virtual stuff. So I've got a library right. tour with, with, you know, with, but it's all virtual stuff. Nice. Um, and if people want to follow you, which talks about the restaurant and Venom Collective and the book, where's the best place to follow you? Um, I would just say Instagram. I, I'm sort of a random, you know, mumblings of my brain on there, but all wine based, okay. um, which is just What's- my name, uh, Vanessa Lenore Price. Lenore's my middle name. V-A-N-E-S-S-A-L-E-N-O-R-E-P-R-I-C-E. Yeah. Okay. All right, Vanessa, thank you to our guest, Vanessa Price. Thank you so much. Go out and get her new book, Big Macs and Burgundies. Thank you to our engineer, Amanda, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.